force yourself to plan, take the medicine. You don't want to take medicine, but you want the results of more money in your bank account. So have, have one plan and then force yourself to execute on your plan and see the results and that success will reinforce the habit. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today is Jordan Rayboy. Jordan began recruiting in the year 2000 and six years later struck out on his own forming Rayboy Insider Search. What's special or unusual about Jordan's situation is that since 2006, he's run his search firm while traveling in a tour bus RV with his wife, Jessica. Jordan joined the Pinnacle Society in 2009. He's been on their board of directors. Uh, and he's done numerous presentations at NAPS conferences, state associations, and tr- he's participated in training videos. He's really been an inspiration to countless recruiters looking to raise their game and make their dreams a reality. I first heard about Jordan about 10 years ago. I heard about this guy who was a really big biller running a search firm from his RV while traveling all over the US and Canada. And He had managed to build an effective virtual team and he was leveraging technology in ways that at the time were really groundbreaking. And he was putting out big numbers while living his dream life. And I just love this idea of having the freedom and of not deferring your dreams until you retire, but somehow finding a way to combine your business and your personal goals and having the best of both worlds. And I thought to myself, someday I want to meet this guy. Well, today is the day. So Jordan, welcome. It's an honor to finally get to meet you. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Now, Jordan, you referred to me by Jeremy Sizemore. How do you know Jeremy? Uh, we met at an MRI pace setter in Cancun in 2003, and we would kind of get together and hang out at every pace setter after that until 2006 when, uh, you know, sure enough that year we both both ended up leaving the network and uh, and starting our own gig. And, um, you know, now we see each other all the time. We're, we're, he's one of my best friends. And uh, oh, awesome. he's just also one of the most knowledgeable recruiters I know. The guy is literally yes. like an encyclopedia of recruiting. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... I'll put a link to the interview uh, in the show notes here at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. Jeremy's episode was probably one of the most educational. Like he was just dropping value bombs left, right, and center and little scripts and little techniques uh, the whole way. So it was really interesting. Um, Now, Jordan, this interview almost didn't happen. Would you mind sharing why you were kind of having second thoughts about doing this? Yeah, yeah. Good, good point, Mark. I've done, I've done plenty of interviews like this. I love, love giving back to our industry. You know, a lot of people have helped me achieve, achieve what I've achieved. And so I love to kind of pay it forward. And, um, you know, I had some second thoughts, um, on this one after initially, uh, agreeing to it just because I've been, I've been struggling lately. Um, and it's not, I've been struggling in billing, like I'm pounding the phones and it's just not working. Uh, if anything, my market in IT sales and pre-sales engineers is actually doing fairly well. Um, I've just been struggling on the mental health part, probably just reading, reading way too much bad news. Um, you know, believing all the fear porn that I'm feeding into my mind and, um, you know, just wondering what's, what's the, what's the point, what's the point of putting in effort to climb the mountain when it's all gonna, it's all gonna come apart. And, um, you know, my focus this year has probably been more on raising chickens and growing vegetables and becoming self-sufficient to produce my own food rather than becoming self-sufficient, um, to, to produce my own, uh, major bank account. 
which I could just buy food. But not, not that producing your own food is bad. And we love having our chickens. And there are a few joys in our life greater than walking down to the coop every morning and pulling out a dozen eggs and making breakfast that we literally uh, produced ourselves. So there's, there's great personal fulfillment in that. But, um, you know, net, net is I haven't, I haven't been on my A game from a recruiting standpoint for uh, the majority of this year. Well, listen, you're, you're definitely not the only one. I'm, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear that you've, uh, you've been struggling, Jordan. I, and I appreciate and respect your candor and your, your courage for coming on here and being open about your mental health because, you know, this is such an important topic. I think many, many people are also struggling right now, especially with the added stress and anxiety of the pandemic and the financial worry due to the economy. So when someone like you, who others look up to as a role model, comes forward and, and talks about their challenges, I think that really makes it easier for others to admit that they're not okay and, and to get get help if they if they need it. So um, what, what was the trigger for that? Do you think it is like, does it coincide with the kind of whole coronavirus thing and the you know, all the drama surrounding that? Well, well, like I started the year off really well and I was on a, uh, I was, uh, you know, for January and February, I was totally sober and loving it. You know, didn't drink anything, didn't, didn't put any kind of poison in my body. I was driving my bicycle 300 miles a week. I was, um, wow. I was on a news cleanse. I wasn't reading news at all. And, um, and I went away to Costa Rica the last week of February. And when I was down there, I just started reading the news every single day about this, this, you know, virus that was getting worse and worse. And as soon as I got home back to Florida, where I was at the time, I have another house down there. Um, we're like, I got to get the hell out of here. And we spent a week packing up our house and, and driving across the country back to Oregon where our, our, uh, our other houses. And, um, and we've been kind of here sequestered in Oregon. We got 60 acres. So it's kind of nice having wow. elbow room and having a farm and, and a mountain to hike on and, and all that. But, um, uh, you're, I'm sorry, I'm 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 off on a tangent at this point. No, that's all right. What I was, was just your, wondering. What was your question? Yeah, my question was like whether there was an, a life event that precipitated this, or like you know. But yeah, so so I I think once I once I took the action that this is going to get real bad. We need to shift our focus from making money to producing food because there's going to be food shortages. There is going to be social unrest. You know, there is going to be. Uh, you know, chaos in the streets. We need to plan our defensive strategies. Like that's where my mind kind of went off the cliff. And all of a sudden I went from riding my bike, you know, 50 to 80 miles a day to not riding my bike at all for two months, gaining 20 pounds, uh, drinking and putting other poisons in my body constantly. And um, my health going downhill. And, you know, when your physical health starts going downhill along with your mental health, you start feeling helpless and hopeless and, um, you know, of course, that eventually starts wearing on my relationship with my wife and I stop being, you know, the loving husband and father that I, I know I truly am and uh, forget about being an outstanding leader to my team and, you know, trying to lead my clients, my business to be a ray of light and a, a source of hope when I felt hopeless myself. Yeah. And um, so I think it was probably just getting getting addicted to uh, the bad news and believing that the, there was there was this black cloud coming. And, uh, that, that, that I was, I was, I don't know that I was helpless against it, but I was going to prioritize, um, preparing for the worst rather than mm. making, you know, making my reality better. Mm. 
Well, I was I mean, really so- focused on all the events coming coming outside of me instead of yeah focusing on what's inside of me, which got a whole lot inside of me when I when I pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, there is plenty of bad news out there for sure, and if you, it's so easy to get sucked into it and caught up in in that, uh, and as you said, your mental health and your physical health are so linked, and it's sort of a uh, a vicious cycle um, that you can, you can, I think anybody can get caught up in. Um, you know, where are you in this process of working through this? It's, it's a great question. Um, I kind of feel like I'm turning a corner just in the past couple of days. I, I talked to my good buddy, Monty Mertz, who, if you don't know Monty, he's out in Denver. He runs an awesome, awesome firm called High Country Search Group. And you should have Monty on your show. I'm happy to introduce All right. you to him. But Thank you. He, uh, I was talking about some of these things and he, he asked if I want to be part of their touchdown club. And I'm like, what's the touchdown club? He's like, you get a point every day for working out. It has to be a real workout, not like walking yeah. the dog around the street. And you get a point every day. If you don't drink, don't smoke. And so the goal is to get seven points a week. And obviously yeah. if you work out every day or work out twice a day and, and don't drink, don't smoke, you can get, you know, two or three touchdowns a week. So, um, you okay. know, just starting yesterday after I talked to him, I got out on my bike, didn't drink anything yesterday. Woke up at 5 a.m. this morning, got on my trainer bike inside, did a 30-minute spin, and I'm like, dude, I got three points on the board. And it's like just that. I, um, I'm already, already feeling more empowered because I'm making different choices. I'm making better choices oh, for me. And, um, you know, getting healthier, fitter, stronger every day, being a more loving husband and father, being a more outstanding leader in my business, being, um, being sober and actually loving it. Um, instead of waiting till the clock strikes at the end of the day so I could start, you know, have my first beer, I'm waiting for the clock to strike at the end of the day so I could get out on my bike before it gets dark out. Or even if it gets dark out, bring a light. Um, oh, that's awesome, know, okay. man. It's cold out. Just bundle up. I got clothes. I got cold weather clothes. So, um, you know, even just the past couple of days, I feel like I've been coming out of it. And I woke up this morning, decided I'm going back on the news cleanse. And it's, it's yes. freaking hard because it's like I try to give myself these – these leniencies like, oh, well, I could read cycling news and I could read ESPN.com. <laughs> but you go on ESPN.com, right. it's like this coach is positive with the virus and this team, you know, got their game canceled because of the virus. And it's just mm-hmm. even on sports, it's like bad news, bad news. So I may mm-hmm. even have to take my sports news out of the rotation. But, um, you know, just waking up and, you know, while I was on my trainer bike, I listened to an audio book, um, you know, for 30 minutes instead of, you know, reading news. You know, or feeling I'm feeding my mind positive uh, growth oriented uh, information instead of, you know, negative crap that just makes me think, see, you know, it just reinforces your belief system that the world is going to shit and um, there's nothing I could do about it. So what's the fucking point? Absolutely. No, you're you're totally right. And it's those little it can be such a small thing, but they stack up. And so in the same way as it is. Um, scarily easy to slip down a negative spiral, it is also possible to climb out and create a virtuous cycle where these little tiny habits, these little tiny shifts, you know, whether it's a news cleanse or not drinking or going out on your bike or connecting, reconnecting with friends or whatever those little steps are, they accumulate and, you know, uh, create a more positive momentum. So uh, I'm really happy to hear absolutely that there there's a book called atomic habits by a guy named yes. james clear unbelievable book um in fact i was reading that book january and february when i was probably at the healthiest i've been at, at least in my adult life if not my entire life 
Um, yes. when I didn't drink or smoke anything for the first probably three months a year. And I was reading that book during lunch every day. And, um, you know, those, those little habits, just like you don't realize in the moment that the negative habit, you know, this, the negative stacking effect, it's a compounding effect. A compound yeah. consistency is compounding. It's right. like, um, you know, flossing your teeth every day compounds, not flossing your teeth every day compounds. Um, you know, listening to audiobooks and feeding your mind good news every day compounds massively and reading bad news and not standing guard at, at, at the gates of your mind definitely has a negative compounding effect when you do it constantly. And, and it's not like I would read bad news just when I would wake up. I would read bad news after hanging up every phone call. Oh, well, let me see if anything else bad happened in the world. It's like, see, bad shit is happening. That justifies my fears. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, it's like, it's just so disempowering. So, um, yeah, day one back on the news cleanse and, um, and I'm feeling good, good about it. Awesome. About awesome. It. Yeah. I love that book. I've read it two or three times. It, I think it, I, in fact, I would not think, I know it's changed my life in a, in a positive way, probably more than any other sort of personal development book I've read. The Atomic Habits book is definitely one I that agree. I, I, I recommend to everybody. Um, so, so listen, for people listening, I, I mean, there are steps you can take and you obviously it's empowering to take ownership, but also, um, I feel like, uh, I have a responsibility to also say that, um, it's okay to get help as well, whether that's oh, professional yeah. help or reaching out to friends and family. My dad's a psychiatrist. Um, I'm obviously not qualified in any way, but I do have an awareness of mental health issues, uh, and I've I've certainly had close friends and family members affected by depression, so I don't have the answers, but I definitely have a huge amount of empathy, and I and I would encourage people to seek help and not just try and figure it out all on their own. Because sometimes you like if you're too deep in it, then you're almost not even. You in order to take action and do the things that you're suggesting, you need to have that flash of inspiration or that little bit of positivity to get you started, right? on that path. And some people, if you go too far down that, uh, into that hole, then it can be, it can seem impossible to like even summon the motivation to take those first steps. So, um, just and that on, on that note, I actually had a conversation with a therapist yesterday and I'm probably going to go start seeing him. And, good you know, you. it's, it's, it's good that you mentioned that because the voice inside of your head that, that's what got you where you are. And you are not your thoughts, but that, that motor is just mouthing, 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 mouthing. That yeah. mind, the mind, the human mind that's been around for millions of years, um, it's not your mind, it's the mind. And yeah. there's this constant internal dialogue. And if it's a negative, negative dialogue, you're going to talk yourself right off the cliff. Um, actually, the audio book that I, I started listening to this morning is called The Untethered Soul by a guy named Michael Singer. Um, I heard him on a, a podcast that Tony Robbins did and it talks about happiness and always, you know, we usually, uh, look externally, you know, for when I get this promotion or when I find my soulmate or when I go on this vacation, then I can be happy versus looking right. internally to find happiness and internally about why am I unhappy? Why am I stressed? Who is it in there? You know, and it's just, it's just been eye opening just for the first 45 minutes. I listened to it this morning. Um, you know, and what's cool is I think, oh, I've got this stack of books that uh, I, I've never really been into audiobooks. And Jessica keeps buying me books, buying me books. I'm like, stop buying me books. I got this giant. It's like stressful seeing the stack of books on my night table that I don't even read. 
but I could, you know, ride my bike for 30 minutes in the morning and listen to 30 minutes and the whole audiobook is only six hours. So after a week or two, that, that book will be done and I'm feeding, you know, starting my day off. Right. And, um, you know, just those little actions, those, those habits are what's going to stack and, and get me back up to the top of the wave. Yes. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you so much for uh, opening up on this, Jordan. I um, I think if there's anything positive coming out of this pandemic, I hope it's that people are more understanding and have more empathy for one another. And I think because everyone's working from home via and meeting via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever, the dividing walls like between people's personal and their professional lives are sort of coming down. And and the, the relaxation of those boundaries means we're seeing a whole nother side of each other. And I hope that with that sort of vulnerability, there can also be greater acceptance of each other. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a lot of silver linings with this pandemic, if you go and look for them. Mm. And uh, I, I feel like it was a, a Tim Ferriss podcast. I got really into listening to Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour yeah. Workweek, which yeah. for a period of my life was like the Bible. When I, when I started on the RV trip 14 years ago, it was probably shortly after that book came out. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is it. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss, but he had a, yes. one of his guests on there that they talked about, are you going to make this a live time or dead time? You know, when you're locked down and you're stuck in your house and you're getting paid not to work. Or, I mean, us recruiters, we never got paid not to work. Um, but for everyone else that got paid to stay at home and not work, um, are you going to make it a live time or dead time? And it's just, what are, how have you grown if you chose to grow during this pandemic? Like my younger sister, Morgan, I just visited her in South Florida. She has no less than literally 75 different varieties of fruits and vegetables planted in red solo cups around her backyard. I'm like, I took a video tour while she was describing wow. these plants. And she's like, this is a soursop and this is a dragon fruit. And this is this one over here. It's like these red solo cups. They aren't remarked. I'm like, this girl has become like an expert master gardener in her backyard growing out of solo cups because she's locked down there in the pandemic. And it's like some people like I was for a period of time, um, you know, just sobbed. And I guess in a way I, I learned about raising chickens and um and growing fruits and vegetables on this side. So, so not too di dissimilar from my sister, probably because my dad was a Y2K planner and he's been telling us for decades that the world was going to crash. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of in our gene pool to, uh, to uh, prepare for the worst. But anyways, I digress. I keep no forgetting problem. your questions. I, I keep going yeah, off no, these, these strange tangents. That's all right. I like a good tangent. And uh, hey, being self-sufficient is not a bad thing, right? And and I think eating stuff you grow yourself or that's or at least that is grown locally is uh, is is good for the planet. Oh, yeah. It's good for your health. So uh, yeah, I'm in favor of that. So listen, you 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 mentioned Tim Ferriss. Can you tell them the story of? like starting your business and in particular, what inspired you to get an RV and run your business from the road? Yeah. Great, great questions. That's a fun story. So, um, uh, I was always big into Tony Robbins. I started going to Tony Robbins seminars when I was 22 and, um, I went to this leadership Academy seminar in 2006 and I came home and had this kind of mea culpa at our office's morning meeting back when I was with MRI and told everyone, I'm sorry, I haven't been the leader that I should be, and I want to be a better leader. And and within like a couple of weeks, I came to the realization, this is not the team that I was meant to lead. I was in like a 15-person office. We were doing about $2 million in revenue. I was a little over a million of the $2 million in revenue. So clearly, it was skewed. 
And I just said, this isn't the team I was meant to lead. So I started looking outside at other options. And, um, you know, it was actually a conversation with my buddy, AJ. I'll give AJ credit uh, because I was, I was driving. I, was, my, I, I had a Porsche Cayenne at the time and I was, my lease was ending. So I was test driving BMW M3s and an Infiniti like Q45 or something. Not that the, the cars matter. But I was driving home from test driving one of these cars for like the second or third time like because I was in a conundrum and I'm, 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 I'm bitching to AJ like, AJ, this is a really tough decision. I can't decide. He's like, why are you going to go waste money on a fucking car? Why don't you go open your own goddamn business? And I hope you don't mind the language, but like, I got to, no, I got to go keep it real for the story point. I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, I've got a wedding coming up next year and, um, you know, it's going to cost like 30 or 40 grand. He's like, what was the last time you to make 30 or 40 grand in a month? And I'm like, um, it was about three and a half years ago that I had built 30 or 40 grand a month. Like I had a blank for like years at that point. And he's like, so why don't you open your own fucking business? And I'm like, well, um, you know, I've already qualified for pace setter and like, like we're going to Hawaii next year. And it's like, I had, I just had my lineup of excuses and he just kept breaking them down. He's like, why don't you open your own fucking business? I'm like, well, what if I fail? You know, I, I do a million a year. I make 350, 400. Um, I have a, you know, five minute commute. Like my life is really good. What if I fail? What if I, what if I lose it all? He's like, dude, is there any fucking chance you're going to fail in recruiting? And without hesitation, there wasn't like a thought. It was just, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm never going to fail at recruiting. He's like, so why don't you open your own fucking business? I'm like, huh. You know, I had, and I'm driving at night, but I had like one of these wire crossing moments in my brain. I'm like, guess I need to open my own fucking business. I'm out of excuses. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I, I um, was in conversations at the time with another franchise network competitor to MRI. And, you know, as soon as I hung up with AJ, I got, well, I got home that night. I talked to Jessica and I called, uh, called the guy from that other franchise network. And I'm like, Hey, I think I want to take a trip up there and see you. And I, I flew up there that later that week. And, um, you know, we started talking about my 200 mile non-compete agreement and he's like, well, you could sell your house. You could, you know, go rent an apartment. You can, you can do, do a bunch of things that I wasn't really that excited about. And um, Jessica's, Jessica's dad, uh, who's no longer with us, but at the time he, he still was, and he had an RV and he had been traveling for a long time. And, um, you know, I think the idea came up like, hey, why don't you go borrow Bruce's RV? And I'm like, could that really work? Can we do this from an RV? Like this was 2006. Like they had just come out with Verizon wireless cards recently. I'm like, could that really work? And I had another one of these wire crossing moments. I'm like, that pretty much sounds like the best idea I've ever heard. I didn't want to borrow Bruce's RV because it was an old RV, but I start, I literally stayed up the entire night researching RVs and the next weekend I bought my RV and I had to wait two months until my big commit, my big commission check that I had coming in. Uh, I had to wait for that because I was going to finance our adventure um, before I could resign and actually start the adventure. But that was around July 4th weekend that we made the decision and I just took some massive action and um, August 29th, I resigned. And we spent about five months just driving around full time in the RV, and then January of 2007, we uh, we uh, opened up shop, and and away we go. That's what we've been amazing. Doing That's the most creative way of overcoming a restrictive covenant that I've ever heard of. That, that um, was it. It was it was it was literally the 200 mile how to get around the 200 mile on computer agreement that spawned the RV idea. <laughs> and we just had so much fun. We uh, so, it was supposed to be a one year workaround for the non compete. We sold our house in Florida and drove around full-time for the next four years and 
eventually, wow. you know, you accumulate stuff when you're, when you're on the road. Uh, we, we had too much stuff to fit into the RV. So I ended up buying this house in Oregon in 2010 just to be able to park some of our stuff. But um, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still happiest when I'm out in the RV living the dream. It's, it's amazing. And I imagine, you know, once you have kids as well, it, that must be more difficult to go out on the road it's, for, it, for it, long. It, it's a new challenge. So people told me for years, they're like, you better enjoy that RV trip now because when you have kids, you don't have kids, do you? I'm like, no, no kids yet. Um, they're like, well, you better enjoy it because once you have kids, that shit is over. Your life is going to change. Your life no longer belongs to you. Blah, 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 all those stories. And so right. I've been planning for years. Like it was 06 when we started. It was 2016 when we had our first kid. 2019 when we had another. And you are right. I mean, I have this beautiful desk set up in the RV, but it's it's pretty damn near impossible to make a lot of phone calls with two little kids screaming in the background. Not to mention we've raised three dogs along the way in the RV as well. But we could bribe dogs into silence with food, or, um, or you could bribe dogs into silence. I've yet to figure out how to bribe a one year old consistently into silence. So, um, yeah. So recently last year, actually, we got a a big, we always pulled a big 27 foot enclosed car trailer that had our motorcycle and a Toyota four runner and all our bicycles and stuff. So now we got a bigger trailer. We had a 33 foot trailer. It's got a separate 50 amp power panel. It's got an AC unit. Uh, it's got a full, we got a fold down desk installed that works like a Murphy bed. Like once you got the vehicles out, the desk just folds down and I got electricity and AC and, I just get out of the RV and I go into the car trailer and it's kind of fun because I'm, I'm a cycling fanatic and I got all my bicycles just like spread out around the trailer. And it's just me and my bike garage pounding phone calls. And so wow. we, we're just fully operational with two kids and three dogs. They're in the RV. I'm in the trailer. And, um, you know, I got a rooftop deck on the trailer also so I could go work, work up on the roof if it's, uh, if it's sunny out. And we're, we're just still living the dream. Amazing. I, so... Rather than give in and say, okay, I guess, you know, that part of her life's over and we're going to go back to being more conventional now, you found a workaround that allowed you to continue working, even though you've got maybe have chaos in the, in the RV around you, you just take yourself off to the, uh, to the, to the trailer. Yeah. 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 No, um, there was, there was no stopping it. And (laughs) like this year we came home to Oregon in March and we were here from March to August and literally didn't leave. You know, obviously was so concerned with all the, the cloud of bad shit. At least if you read all the news, it probably was pretty bad in a lot of places. We were kind of uh, insulated from it here in our little bubble. Um, but in August we got back out in the RV and started traveling and, you know, went to, uh, actually it was when the fire, there were really bad fires here in Oregon. There was a massive fire about 10 miles from our house. So the smoke wow. was so bad. It was like toxic. So we packed up. I'm like, I, I'm paying for this RV, whether it's to my driveway or whether I'm living in it. So we went to Colorado and Utah for a couple of weeks. And that was awesome. We came home for a little bit. And then we went down to Arizona for a couple of weeks and um, went to Sedona and uh, worked out of a buddy's office in Scottsdale, a couple of my other Pinnacle friends uh, that are, are in an office together. And, you know, so they wear masks and, uh, you know, it was a little different type of life, but it was great being in an office. And and uh, seeing a bunch of my friends, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in the power of the peer group. And um, yes. Pinnacle Society is probably the best peer group that I've found in our industry, at least from a personal production standpoint. Um, and there's four or five Pinnacle friends of mine that are all kind of centered around Scottsdale. So it was good to go see them and remind me of the quality of life that I, I want to live. And um, it's kind of easy when you're all by yourself to lower your standards and mm-hmm. allow yourself to say, 
you know, hey, I'm comfortable. I have everything I need. Why do I need to be greedy? Why do I why do I need more? I'm I'm good right where I'm at. It's really easy to 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 settle into that comfort zone, you know. But then I go to uh, Scottsdale and my buddy Joe Rice, who's in Pinnacle, he's a hospitality recruiter and he's been billing anywhere from 1.4 to 1.8 million a year, placing general managers at Ritz Carlton's and hotels. So imagine what happened to his market. It literally Absolutely. died, like died, went to zero. And he's been doing this for 10 years in hospitality. And instead of shriveling up like I did and uh, focusing on growing food and raising chickens, he, sh- he totally pivoted to senior living and got back on the phones in senior living in August, placing like executive directors of senior living homes. And he had $150,000 a month last month, Wow! you know, in his third month in a brand new market. And it's like Amazing. just being in the office with him and watching him pound MPC calls, not even really knowing the lingo of senior living, but just taking the actions every day, pounding NPC calls. Like, I feel like that also helped me turn the corner. And, um, you know, so power the peer group. Uh, if, if you're struggling, surround yourself with other badasses who are living a higher quality of life. If you want to get stronger, work out in the gym with someone stronger than you. Right. You know, when I, when I was getting faster and, and fitter on my bike, it's because I was going on group rides with people who were stronger and faster and fitter than me. And, um, you know, you, you run with a higher level peer group, it's going to force you to grow in, in that area of your life. So, you know, from that standpoint, I've, I've actually, um, been, been less focused on isolation and more focused on reconnecting with friends and, and colleagues that are, that are badasses. Not, not, you know, I got, I got to be careful because like, I love my family dearly, but like, if I talk to my dad, it's worse than reading bad news. It's his interpretation <laughs> and analysis of the bad news and what right. actions we need to take to prepare to counteract the bad news. So I got to be, you got to be careful. You got to sometimes love your family, but choose your peers and choose who you actually surround yourself with. Um, yes. Absolutely. You know, having positive, more positive people in your life. Absolutely. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You mentioned a couple of things. Joe Rice, by the way, is coming on the show. He's already confirmed. We're just trying to um, trying to lock in a time that uh, that that works for him. Probably going to record sometime around Thanksgiving. And uh, you mentioned a couple of things I want to pick up on. One was just to, for the sake of clarity, MPC stands for Most Placeable Candidate. So, you know, in case people aren't familiar with that terminology, I'm pretty sure that's an MRI term. Yeah, but it's. 
yeah, candidate marketing. So also, and I'm a big believer in that as well. Um, you mentioned the power of the peer group and, you know, Pinnacle Society sounds like an awesome group. I've got a coaching group called Inner Circle, which is also a sort of peer advisory network. And it's really powerful how people, number one, like when you work for yourself, it's especially designed for solo independent recruiters or very small teams. And you can kind of be in your own bubble. And as you know, as you say, either lower your standards or kind of just, um, you know, overanalyze stuff. And it really helps to break out of that and have other people to talk to have similar goals, similar challenges, and also create a bit of friendly competition. Like, you know, if you see someone else have a personal best or personal record, or they win a new routine search or something, it can spur you on as well. And, you know, wanting to, uh, wanting to keep up with that group. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's kind of, again, the, the, the motor going on in your mind constantly, it's not always saying good things. And it's kind of hard to elevate yourself to the next level with the level of thinking that got you into your current situation. So um, absolutely helpful, whether it's having a coach or just having a peer group of people that are um, playing life at a high level in the area of life that, um, that you aspire to achieve more. Uh, yes. Critical. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the power of the peer group and, you know, isolation has not, um, has not been good for me. I think that's, that's probably a big component of, um, what got me into such a negative place this year was being isolated and not going to pinnacle meetings twice a year and seeing all my friends that are living this amazing quality. It's not just that they're, they're successful and wealthy and they have things. It's that they have such beautiful hearts and they're so loving yeah. and giving and they're so sharing of everything that they know and everything that they have. And, um, uh, you know, I think that that's something I was missing. So it was really, it was really valuable for me to go down to Arizona and, um, spend some time with these guys. And actually, I mean, I know at least from the news I had read a couple of days ago, I guess the, the pandemic is getting worse and worse again. Um, so I'm having second thoughts on this, but you know, after going to Arizona last month and, just having such a, a positive experience. We're like, Hey, we got pinnacle buddies all over the country. Jeremy being one of them who works in an office in Houston, you know, yeah. Kathy Stewart and uh, Dan Martineau have an office in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, we've got a bunch of friends with offices in Ohio, you know, throughout Ohio. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of got to connect the dots kind of loop in mind that, you know, we'll, we'll see how things go with, with the way of the world. But I think we're going to get back out in the RV and just do kind of like a pinnacle road show and, <laughs> go spend two or, two or three weeks at a time in different friends' offices and collect best practices and maybe do do a little podcast, you know, kind of, kind of like what yeah. you're doing with amazing, you know, memorializing it to share share everything that I'm learning with with everyone else and just kind of raise the level of our industry. And so that's that's kind of our plan for uh, for next year. Cool, definitely do that. I would tune in for that. That sounds brilliant. Um, so listen, like coming back to your RV and the. The, the, just the logistics of that, you mentioned, um, or I'm not sure if you mentioned it or I read about you having virtual teams. Can you describe how that works, what the structure is, and how you manage people remotely? And Sure. Yeah. So, so um, since late in 2007, we've had a virtual team. And, uh, you know, I'm big. It's early. A lot of people do it now, but, you're, but you were sort of ahead of the curve there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so I've, I've, I've uh, had a lot of learning experiences over the years. Um, 
you know, <laughs> one is make your morning meeting in a time zone, you know, based on what time zone you're in, make your morning meeting something you can consistently uh, commit to and attain. You know, I had, I, I made the mistake of thinking, oh, my team's all on the East Coast, so I need the morning meeting to be 8 a.m. because it used to be 7.30 when I was growing up in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so we need to do it at 8 a.m., but I was on the West Coast and it was like, I'd miss the morning meeting three out of five days a week, trying to think right. I, I could consistently make a 5 a.m. morning meeting. So that was a learning experience. So now we do it at 7 a.m. Pacific. It's 10 a.m. Eastern. But, um, you know, so, so work in the time zones is, uh, is one thing. You know, also work in the time zones in terms of where you take work, where, where your clients need to hire, what geographic niche you focus on. Um, um, you know, when you do your morning meetings, when you do afternoon wrap-ups, when you do training meetings, you know, making sure the time zones work for everyone involved. Um, you know, we do our our morning meeting and training meetings via Zoom just to try to have some kind of face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, we do our afternoon wrap-ups just via phone. Um, you know, we also talk, you know, make three-way calls with clients and candidates throughout the day as needed. Um, you know, That's our, our- important. Our, Can you say why you do that? Yeah. Well, so so we've got a team structure where I'm, I'm the main rainmaker <laughs> and I've got a project manager who- typically is recruiting candidates for my searches. And we've got an admin researcher, Christina, um, who, you know, does not just administration, but she's actually out on LinkedIn sourcing candidates. So anything relating to planning, building lists, sourcing candidates, adding people to our database, that's a Christina job. You know, Wes, who's my project manager, he just calls candidates. He's, he's out there recruiting and I'm out there bringing in the work and doing air traffic control and managing process. So yes. oftentimes, um, you know, when we're talking to clients about candidates, I've never even spoken with the candidate. The client doesn't know that. But when they're like, hey, why, why did they have this short stint? You know, Wes will just jump in and answer the question about their reason for making the move. Hey, what, if they're doing so well, why are they interested in this? And like without hesitation, Wes just jumps in and answers the question. So and by the way, we've got Slack open in the background. So yeah. I think Slack is, is a great tool. Um, yeah, even while Slack. we're on three-way calls, Wes and I might be communicating in the back channel via Slack. You know, if he's in the middle of saying something, I might slack him a message like, hey, I'm going to jump in real quick or, hey, pass me the baton. And he might say, Jordan, do you have anything to add? And it's like just very natural that we'll kind of pass the baton back and forth so that we're not talking over each other. Um, awesome. So and also, um, you know, typically I first talk to a candidate towards the end of the process, either prepping for a final interview or pre-closing uh, on an offer, you know, mm -hmm. on, on money and timing and things like that. And so, um, you know, Wes has mainly had the, the relationship with the candidate throughout the process. And he kind of introduces me as his partner and CEO right at the end game. And it's like the candidate has kind of a, a little bit different level of respect for me. And I'm going to come in and ask the exact same questions that Wes probably asked two or three weeks earlier. Like, hey, why are you looking to make a change? And where are you really at compensation wise? And what would you need to see in order to feel comfortable making a move? And I know some of these questions maybe you can't ask in different geographies that have different laws, but, you know, generally speaking, um, and I'm testing, A, I'm looking for red flags, B, I'm seeing if the candidate is being truthful to me, because we have notes on the candidate saying, I was at a 125 base, 250 at plan. They don't have notes in their mind of what they told Wes three weeks ago. And when they tell us 140 base, 280 at plan, you know, that <laughs> tells me, all right, well, TAL, they all lie. Um, unfortunately, it keeps being proven true. Maybe it's just because I play salespeople. And, um, you know, maybe with salespeople being uh, fudging the truth a little bit is more prevalent. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I find it's, it's really useful later in the process for me to come in and kind of gut check what a candidate's been telling, you know, Wes throughout the process. And also, 
um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, so we're looking for different answers, but it's just um, the divide and conquer, you know, allows me to focus on higher dollar value activities. Just like if you're a million, it, let's say you work 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, you work in 2000 hours a year. If you want to bill a million dollars a year, your time needs to be worth $500 an hour. Meaning yep. if it's not a $500 hour activity, you should, you shouldn't be doing it. You should be outsourcing it and delegating it. Now I love yep. Christina dearly, but it's sending interview confirmations, meeting invites. It's not a $500 hour activity. So we, Put it on her plate. Is going on LinkedIn and adding candidates to your database. That's not even a five hundred. That's not a five hundred dollar activity. In fact, I would even say calling candidates to recruit them is not a five hundred dollar an hour activity. Doing business development, getting searches, um, getting client commitment, closing deals, overcoming concerns, things of that nature. Those are the high dollar value activities. So that's that's what I focus on, and we outsource and delegate the rest. Amazing. Uh, thank you for describing that in such detail. I think um, what you've underlined is the importance of if you have a virtual team, communicate, communicate, communicate. You've got twice daily calls. You've got training calls. You've got Slack. You're doing three-way conversations with clients, with candidates. So uh, it's no wonder that you've made that work. Presumably, it's through making mistakes along the way and 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 not always getting it right. But a lot of learning experiences over the yeah. years. What what would you say was the, can you highlight one or two of those, like things that you now do because you learned the hard way that it, it you know, it could backfire? Yeah, I mean, so um, I don't like being a policeman. I, I like uh, traveling in an RV and living the dream. And for me to monitor if someone else is working or not, um, that's that's just a waste of my time. And, and uh and it doesn't bring me happiness and joy and fulfillment. So it, the type of person who's going to make fake phone calls and like call the movie phone line because it's going to loop again <laughs> and again in order to get 15 minutes added to their phone time. If someone's going to do that in an office, they're just not going to make any phone calls when they're working from home. So making sure that you have the right people that are self-motivated and proactive, um, you know, is definitely one thing. Uh, you know, I've gotten to the point, you know, after... 20 years of doing this that I, I don't want to be a policeman and I'm not going to, um, I'm just not going to spend my entire day inspecting what everyone else is doing. Now, you know, another term that I got from Nick Turner, uh, is, uh, you know, people respect what you inspect, not what you expect. Mm, so yep. to a certain extent, uh, I'm, I, I am a big fan of the metrics and tracking your job orders and first time interviews and candidate submittals and um, if the results aren't there, then you need to back it up and look at the effort metrics, which are how many call attempts are you making? How many live conversations are you having? Um, things of that nature. And there's a way for people to fudge all that too. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they, if it's just a hash sheet, you know, or it's clicking a button in PCR next to someone's, someone's uh, name on a roll-up list, you know, and that's how you count your call attempts, someone could just go click, 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 click. If they want to fake their effort, um, it, it's kind of hard to fake the activity though, since Christine is the one sending all the interview confirmations. So at the end of the day, you know, the revenue results are a result of activity metrics and the activity metrics are a result of the effort metrics. And, um, you know, someone can't self-manage themselves to put up the right amount of shots and put in the right amount of effort, then they're just not going to be successful. And, uh, the problem typically works itself out naturally. I agree a hundred percent. And I think, um, 
I, so I've got a virtual assistant, Rachel. I've got a few people on my team all, all work remotely. But when I, Rachel was my first hire uh, in this model a couple of years ago. And she's based in the Philippines. And I was a little nervous about doing that. And so I had this software that would like record, like monitor what people were doing on their computer and all that. And after two weeks, I know, but the reality is I never checked it because I was like, I don't want to spend my time looking at what she's doing on her computer. And I thought, well, do I trust her? Well, yes, because if I don't trust her, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be working together, right? And so I said, Rachel, just switch that thing off. We're not going to use that anymore. Um, and she's been with me two years. She's super, she's a huge asset. Um, and but, by the way, that goes right back into what I was saying about outsourcing and delegating. Um, you know, if whether you're a million dollar biller, even if you're a $300,000 biller and you're solo, your time needs to be worth $150 an hour. So yeah. if you could pay a virtual assistant in the Philippines or India or wherever, $8 an hour, $10 an hour, if you could pay a virtual resource team, re research team, eight or $10 an hour to build you a list of, of candidates or, or client leads while you're sleeping, clearly your time is worth more than that. So outsource and right. delegate that, get a virtual assistant, you know, outsource your research. Um, you know, if, 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 if your time is worth more, uh, then it, it would it would cost you to, uh, you know, if, if you got a big yard, pay someone to cut your yard. If you get right. personal joy and fulfillment out of cutting your own yard, cut your own yard. But, you know, you outsource and delegate things like that. You should outsource and delegate things in your recruiting business. Absolutely. You're totally right. Something I want to ask you about, Jordan, because this is one of the issues that comes up again and again, even for really like tenured veteran recruiters is planning. And I think this is something, power planning is something that you have presented on in the past. And it's, I find that a lot of people are resistant to it. Like everyone knows that it's powerful and that they should do it, but there's this resistance. Could you say a little bit about how, what your process is and how you get yourself to do it? Yeah. So with planning, I mean, rule number one is plan during planning time. So if you don't have planning time on your schedule, you're going to violate rule number one and you're going to plan all day long. You're going to plan in between calls. You're going to be trying to figure out when you hang up one call, who am I going to call next? What am I going to say to them? You're going to spend three to five minutes between calls. And let's say you make 60 calls a day, three minutes between calls. That's 180 minutes. That's three hours of your day. Poof. Just from figuring out who you're going to call and, and you know, that three minutes between calls. Whereas if you spend one hour a day planning, uh, so that you've got a really kick-ass plan. You know, everyone you're going to call, you've got everyone on a call list. In fact, you've probably got twice as many calls on your list as you could possibly make in a day. So you're never going to run out of calls in 2.30 in the afternoon after getting voicemails all day. Oh, I'm out of calls. Who am I going to call next? That's a planning issue. Um, but knowing everyone you're going to call and who you're going to call next, let's just say you cut your time between calls down to one minute. So three minutes, you just gave yourself an extra two hours of phone time. You know, right. if you average two hours of phone time a day, now you're averaging four hours of phone time a day. You just went from billing 200 to 400. Poof, just like that, just from planning. Um, planning will make the, the single biggest difference in your production immediately. Like, oh, we're going to do this new SEO strategy. We're going to do omnipresence on you know, social media and all these things that you hope to start seeing results over time. You have a kick-ass plan today. You're going to increase your phone time tomorrow. You're going to talk to more people. You're going to get more activity. Like you see the results instantly from getting better at planning. Um, so rule number one, plan during planning time, which means you got to plan a time on your schedule. That could be 7 a.m. It could be 4.30 in the afternoon. It could be 8 o'clock at night. Whatever works for your lifestyle and your schedule. 
your family life, fit it in. You know, sometimes when, you know, if it's for, you know, I start my day at, at five in the morning, I have, I have a morning meeting early, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done working by 4 PM Pacific time and I've got an, an, a nine or 10 hour day in, I like to go ride my bike while it's still daylight out and I'll yeah. come home and I'll do my planning at eight, eight or eight 30 or nine o'clock at night. Um, you know, so, so it doesn't have to be during traditional business hours, but you need to have a time on your schedule every day to do your planning. Um, you know, so my personal checklist is probably, uh, you know, knowing everyone you're going to call and exactly what you're going to say to them. So I, I like to have a rule of thumb, have twice as many calls on your plan as you average, if you average 50 calls a day, have a hundred on your plan. So if you have a voicemail day from hell, you don't, you know, and you make 80 calls and 77 of them are voicemails, you're not running out of calls because you're well-planned. Um, you got a script of knowing exactly what you're going to say to them. You got a script for your MPC that you're going to present if you're marketing a candidate out there. You might have a script for biz dev. You might have a script for recruiting. Um, I like to have at least two recruiting projects planned. So, you know, let's say you open one up in the morning and you make 30 calls and you get three or three to five candidates qualified and interested. And it's like, man, this is awesome. Do you keep making calls on that the rest of the day? Or if you're well-planned, you have a second project, close that first list down, open your next one up, pull up your script, boom, you're right into the next project. So I like to have two recruiting projects planned at a minimum, have an MPC planned. Um, who you're going to take to market. I like to have, I do a couple different functions, sales and pre-sales engineers. So I always try to have a sales rep, a sales leader, a pre-sales engineer and a pre-sales engineering leader. So no matter what level of uh, decision maker I'm talking to, I have, I have a candidate that's going to be relevant to them. And I've got a different script for each of those candidates. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other things to do during planning time is, um, you know, all of your industry research, you know, I think especially if you're a specialist, if you want to be a market master, you need to stay up to date on what's going on in your industry. Um, so you need to do industry research, but you should not be reading about what's going on in your industry at 11 in the morning. You know, right. it, maybe, maybe unless that's not your prime time or unless you're on a little break, maybe you do um, because it's probably healthier than reading bad news like I've done <laughs> in the past. Um, but, but in general, you should do your industry research during planning time. And if you're planning at the end of the day, then, um, or maybe you do your industry research specifically first thing in the morning before you start your day. So you've got some, some value that you could add on, on your various conversations. Um, but in general, I like to do my industry research during planning time, anything related to social media, you know, I know for, uh, you know, it might be beneficial to post things on LinkedIn or somewhere else at certain times of the day, but you can actually create those posts during planning time and schedule them to, uh, to go off at certain times of day. So anything having to do with social media, anything having to do with sourcing, if you haven't outsourced or delegated your, your sourcing, i.e. going on LinkedIn, creating lists of candidates, importing them into your database, or creating the list in LinkedIn, however you choose to do it. If you have LinkedIn Recruiter, for example, um, doing that during planning time. You know, you shouldn't be going on LinkedIn and adding candidates to your database at 9.30 in the morning. That's prime time. You should be making phone calls. If you're adding candidates to your database during prime time, that's money just going out of your pocket. Just, just exiting. Money is either going in your pocket every minute of the day, or it's going out of your pocket every minute of the day. So, uh, be aware of, of your time and how you're spending it. Um, you know, beyond anything with social media and, and LinkedIn, you know, I'm a huge fan of mass emails. I don't think there's a better way to cast a wide net um, and get get some initial candidates to test your clients with quickly. But the problem is, if, at least if you send your own mass emails, you might send a mass email to 500 people and you get 30 responses. That's awesome. But these 30 responses are dinging into your inbox all day long. It's like ding, ding, ding. And everyone that comes in, you're like, ooh, dopamine, dopamine hit. Let me see who this is. Oh, it's just someone telling me they're not interested. 
okay, that's a distraction. That minute or two or three, you know, again, think of those stacking up throughout the day, costing you money, pulling money out of your pocket all day long. So at least if you have a, a folder in your email or your Outlook or wherever, call it email, mass email responses, at least as you go through your email, just move all the email responses to that folder and go through them all in a very focused manner at the end of the day during planning time. And then, you know, uh, call them all in a very focused manner the first thing the next morning. And instead of calling all 30 as they come in, and maybe some of them are good and some of them aren't, you're going to prioritize the 10 that are the best fit. You're going to call those 10 first, and you might have three to five that are qualified and interested, and your search is basically done. And the other 20 that aren't a good fit, you could send a follow-up mass email saying, hey, sorry, our client has other candidates that are a closer fit to what they're looking for. We'll keep you in mind for opportunities in the future. And you never even have to waste time calling those people. So again, just doing everything in a Power planning is just doing planning in a very focused manner, not switch tasking back and forth between making phone calls, checking emails, going on LinkedIn, reading an article, all of these switch tasks. Every time you switch tasks, there's time cost and, you know, yes. versus doing planning in a very focused manner, doing your email all at once, making your phone calls all at once, doing your LinkedIn sourcing all at once. Uh, and it's just doing it all in a very focused manner. So I think that's probably the, um, you know, I mean, there's other things that you could lump into planning, like, and you know, if, if you don't have your own admin, administrative assistant, you know, putting together client fee agreements, um, sending out interview confirmations with meeting invites, you know, any of the, you know, putting together invoices, following up on accounts receivable, you know, everything like that. You could do all your administrative tasks, you know, lumped all together during planning time. So that's amazing. That's kind of a- so I love everything you just said. The challenge I've got with is human nature being what it is, is like, how do you get yourself to stick to it? Because people, even if you have a plan, you've planned your planning time and it's locked into your calendar as an appointment, if people don't like doing it, then they just, you know, they blow it off. What, what suggestion do you have for someone who finds, and they know that they should be doing it and they feel bad, they beat themselves up, but they just find that they're continuously um, winging it instead of being well-planned? That's a good question. I've never really thought of it, thought of it from that aspect. Um, you know, going, going back to Atomic Habits, uh, you know, somewhere in that book, it talks about when you see success, it reinforces the habit. So if you mm-hmm. do it once and the next day, you have the joy of just plowing through your plan. And if you monitor your phone time, even if you have an iPhone, you can reset your call timer on your iPhone every day. You know, and one day you get two hours and the next day after you're well planned, you get three hours or three and a half. And it's like, whoa, if I, I, I mean, it's, it's common sense. If you're talking to more people, connecting with more people in your marketplace, you're going to make more stuff happen. You're going to get more activity. You're going to eventually build more. Um, right. So right. I like it. So, so, what so you're I, saying think, is- I think if you start seeing that success, just reset your call timer one day. And, and monitor your phone time and then do it, you know, focus on, force yourself to plan, take the medicine. You don't want to take medicine, but you want the results of, of more money in your bank account. So have, have one plan and then execute on your, force yourself to execute on your plan and see the results. And that success will reinforce the habit. Um, or I, I think he also talked about in, the, in, in Atomic Habits, fit something in. Like if you've got a routine, let's say you've got your morning routine, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you weigh yourself on the scale, and then you do some, you know, you do something you like. You make your morning coffee. But then there's something you don't want to do, but you kind of squeeze it in the middle of your routine 
and it kind of forces you to do it because right, you need right. to for you need to do that in order to before you're like I, I tell Jessica, my wife. So she, she has an issue with like drinking water. Like she's chronic. In my opinion, she's chronically dehydrated. I'm like, <laughs> you are not allowed to have coffee in the morning until you drink a full glass of water. So it's like forces her to drink a glass of water in order to get the thing that she wants, which is the coffee. Right. So you know, I would say maybe try that. Hey, before I get, a, I'm allowed to get out on my bike. You know, because what I really want is go ride my bike. Do I really want to do yes. planning? No. But I, I force it into the routine and it becomes a habit and you condition it as a habit. So those are two Absolutely. Love it. That's brilliant. That's brilliant, Jordan. Well, listen, uh, there's loads more we could talk about. Let's say to be continued. And I hope we get the chance to do this again someday. And uh, thanks again for showing up and putting yourself out there and helping other people, even though you didn't really feel like it. Um, I, I appreciate you, man. And, I, and I've, and I've enjoyed this Mark and I look forward to doing it again. Stay safe and have a, have a great day. Thanks Jordan. Yeah, have a kick-ass day as well. Same time All right. out there. Take care now. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you, or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Like once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.